Welcome to the Grace Hill Podcast, a weekly podcast of our Sunday messages driven by our pastor. Grace Hill exists to bring God's biblical truth to your everyday life. As we begin this week's message, we invite you to open your Bibles and capture what God has in store for you today. So I'm really, really excited about this morning and starting this series and, and, and where God's going to take us through this series and where we're going to end up. I'm, I'm pumped. Uh, I, if I get a little excited this morning, just, just roll with it uh, because I feel like God has really been burning something in my heart and really uh, downloading something. It's just kind of been a cool experience over the last few months as I've been preparing and getting ready for this series. So uh, if this is your first time today, I think you came at a great time. Uh, if you've been coming for the last 10 years, I think you came at a great time. Uh, this is uh, a pivotal moment in our church. So this is going to be a, a big moment moving us forward to what God has called us to do. Have you ever had a need that no one knew about? Have you ever had a need and you just didn't tell anybody and you go, it's not that big of a deal. I can live with this. It's not a problem. And you just, you just roll with it and you just let it go. You just, we'll fix it later. We'll get to it at some point in time, right? Have you ever had those needs? Isn't it the coolest thing in the world when somebody recognizes the need and you didn't say anything and they take care of it? I absolutely love when that happens. I absolutely love when that happens, when I go, man, that needs to be done, that needs to be taken care of. And then you come back later and it's done and been taken care of. Somebody else saw it and they took care of it and you go, awesome. That is like the coolest thing in the world to me. I love when that happens because I go, man, that's one less thing for me to take care of. It's one less thing for me to do. And somebody else saw the need and they took care of it. A couple of weeks ago, we were here uh, getting ready for Sunday morning and, and we actually showed up and my iPad was dead. Now, 10 years ago, that wouldn't have been an issue whatsoever, but apparently church can't happen or function any longer without an iPad. Uh, so I show up and my iPad is dead. Now the iPad is used more than just preaching because I could do it on my phone or pull up my computer, but, but we use it for more than just that. Sometimes Lauren uses it for music, for worship and things of that nature. And we were in a little bit of a pickle that morning and we had a need. And so we're talking about it going, what do we do? Because where's the charger? Oh, it's back at the house, which we live so far away, like 0.4 miles from here. And so it's like this, like, man, how are we ever going to get there back? Well, then Kevin Torrens overheard our conversation and he reaches into his pocket and he pulls out this battery pack charger. And he's like, I got you covered. And I was like, this is awesome. So he connects it, plugs it in, iPad comes back on, and then it's charging. And, and so Lauren was using it all through worship. And then I get it, and it was like charged. And I was like, this is incredible. So then Kevin goes a step further. Later that week, he texts me and he says, hey, are you at the church? And I'm, I was like, yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm here. He shows up and he has a little gift bag and he bought me my own little battery pack charger. And I was like, look at you. Not only did you see the need, I didn't present the need, but you took care of the need to the fullest. And then he came back later and he had one for Lauren as well. So now we each in our bags carry these little battery pack chargers so that we're never in a bind or we're never in trouble. And then, you ready for this? And then he bought me a three-way USB charger. So on my nightstand last night, I charged my watch because now your watches have to be charged. I charged my phone and my iPad. And I showed up this morning fully charged up <laughs> because he saw the need. He, he said, I'm going to take care of the need. And so now, if, if something crazy were to happen, like my kids were to get a hold of my phone or my iPad, which is really not that crazy of an idea, and they drain it, I go, guess what? I got a battery pack that I charge that bad boy up. It's the coolest thing in the world when somebody sees the need, they recognize it, and then they're prompted to do something about it. It's remarkable. I love when that kind of stuff happens. And you go, man, I, I, uh, I didn't even 
know that I had that much of a need, right? I thought, well, my iPad's dead. Kevin didn't see the need. He saw the solution to the problem. And he said, I'm going to jump in and I'm going to take care of that. I have the ability to fix that. I have the ability to, to, to take care of this problem. So today, as we jump into Nehemiah, as we work through this series and we walk through the book of Nehemiah and we talk about what we're up against, Nehemiah recognizes that there's a need. He recognized the need. But before we get started, let's, let's do a little bit of historical analysis and a little bit of background for where we are and what's taken place. First of all, so the book of Nehemiah originally would have been Ezra, Nehemiah combined. It would have been one book. It's written by one author. And so it would have been this combined teaching that would have walked through three different periods, essentially, or three different stories to create this one whole story of Ezra and Nehemiah, or the, 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 the Hebrew pronunciation, Nehemiah, which I will not do because that sounds a bit pretentious. And so I'm not going to do that throughout the day of being like, it's not Nehemiah, it's Nehemiah. I'm not going to do that. So you'd have this, this one continuous book that would flow from one to the other. And, and they have these kind of crazy ebbs and flows and these ups and these downs. And, and, and they have these, these moments of, of rising and, and, and excitement only to kind of end up let down at the very end. But I want to start today talking about Nehemiah. So Nehemiah, and we'll read this in a minute, was, was a cupbearer for the king of Persia. Now, to be the cupbearer was, was not just like today's butler or somebody who would come and just present food or something to the king, but his job, essentially, as we all know, would be to test the wine to make sure it wasn't poison, which is kind of a, like, do I want that job, right? Like, have a drink and then wait. He's not dead. Have a drink. You know, like, like that's just kind of a, a funny thought of a job. Nonetheless, the king was to be protected, and Nehemiah was the person to carry that role. But here's something significant to know about the role of a cupbearer, is that a cupbearer uh, was more than just somebody who would have to test to make sure it wasn't poison, to make sure that, that he wasn't, you know, the king wasn't about to die, but they had to be, there's some funny things about this, they had to be handsome because they were going to be seen with the king in public, and the king could not have somebody who was not good-looking hanging out with him. So Nehemiah was most likely a good-looking person, but he had to be cultured. He had to be knowledgeable about court proceedings. So he had to know how things operated in the legal system in Persia. So he's very knowledgeable. He's very educated. He's very good-looking. And then he was also able to converse with the king and advise him if asked. This is a person who carried a very close role to the king. This person was very, because the king had to trust them fully with their life. That's how this was viewed. You are not just sipping a glass of wine to make sure it's not poison. You are literally saving my life if need be and laying down your own for me. So the role of the cupbearer is a significant, significant role capable of being used for good or evil depending on the, the agenda of the cupbearer. So if the cupbearer had an evil agenda, he could work to persuade the king in one direction, but also if he had a good idea or agenda, he could work to persuade the king in that direction. And in this story, we see that, that he has a great connection with the king and a great relationship with the king of Persia. And this would have been during the time period of about 444 B.C. 
And it would have been somewhere in November, December time period. So bef- with that, let's jump now into chapter 1. So we're going to read chapter 1 uh, because it is where our text is, where we're going to come through today. So we're going to read the whole chapter. It's just 11 verses. It's not a substantially long chapter, but we're going to read through this as we get started. The words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah, in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, meaning the 20th year of the reign of the king. While I was in the citadel of Susa, so the city of Susa, Hanina, Hanina, Hanani, I can't talk. One of my brothers came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Then I said, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer. Your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly toward you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servant Moses. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even your exiled people are at the farthest horizon. I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling place for my name. Verse 10. They are your servants and your people whom you redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this, your servant, and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. I was cut bare to the king. So before we go any further, let's, let's explain just a little bit of, of where Nehemiah is also. In this. So Ezra, in the book of Ezra, you read about how they, they had this idea and this understanding that if the temple was rebuilt, that the presence of God would return and everything would be back to where it was supposed to be, except that the temple was in fact rebuilt and the presence of God did not return. So here they are in this predicament and in this place of going, what are we doing wrong? Where did we mess up? What did we not get right? We thought if we built this building that God would show up. And, and, and here we find Nehemiah saying, God, I'm confessing for us, confessing for our people. In a sense saying, please, Lord, return, return. But what prompted him? So let's, let's look through this and walk through this, uh, starting with verse one in, in, and through verse three. And, the, and the, the big idea today is this, recognizing the need empowers you to be part of the solution. Recognizing the need empowers you to be part of the solution. The first thing is this, compassion motivated Nehemiah to ask. Here's what I mean by that. We see in, in the first few verses, he asks his brother. His brother comes and, 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 and he says, how are things back in Jerusalem? Why did he ask? Because he had compassion for those people. If he didn't care, he probably would have never asked the question. He probably wouldn't have said, 
anything along the lines of how are things back home, right? But he, he asks, how are things in Jerusalem? And then what happens is that his brother then says, it's a shameful place, right? But it's his compassion that motivates him to ask, how many, how many times have we asked people how they're doing in hopes of just a generic answer, right? But his compassion motivated him to ask. So we understand that his position would, 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 would give him great influence with the king. And, and so here, Nehemiah asks the questions. And it's, the question is, if, if he is in this great position of, of comfort, why would he ask? Why does it matter to him? Nehemiah is in a great setup. He's working in the palace. He's living the life of luxury. He is close to the king. He has influence among the people. And everything in his world is good. So why does it matter how things are back home? It's because his compassion motivated him to ask. He has everything that he could ever want. He's good looking. He's got influence. He's, he's educated. He gets to eat at the table of the king, meaning he's having the finest of food and, and living this incredible life. And yet he's still motivated to ask. He's still motivated to ask. I think it has to do with timing and placement. God had put him there for a specific reason and for a specific person, purpose. And it was his compassion that motivates him to ask. In fact, in Jeremiah 15.5, it's a century and a half before uh, this, Jeremiah writes, he says, For who will have pity on you, O Jerusalem? Or who will bemoan you? Who will turn aside to ask how you are doing? Nehemiah was the man that God had chosen for this moment. Nehemiah was the man that God had said, you will be the one to ask how you're doing. It's because of the compassion in his heart, the compassion that he had for these people. How many, like I said this a minute ago, how many times have we asked people how they're doing in hopes of receiving a generic answer for our generic question, right? We ask all the time, how are you? In hopes that they go, oh, I'm doing great. Even if they're in the worst moment or the hardest storm of their life, our hope in, in a lot of that is, oh, just come back and just say, great, so that we can hug and move on. Because a lot of times we fear the obligation that comes with the responsibility of knowing what's happening. We prefer not to know what's going on because information might bring obligation. Have you ever had that person that you ask the question and they unload on you? And you were like, oh, I was not, was not ready for that. I thought this was going to be a quick pass by and we were going to move on, and everything was going to be okay, and, and I didn't have to worry about what was going on. I think there's a time when, some, when we ask that, that sometimes we need to be made aware of actual needs and problems because it keeps us grounded in compassion for other people. And see, the compassion that, that was overwhelming Nehemiah leads him to ask the question, how are things back home? With, with no regard to his comfort or where he was, he was truly wanting to know because he felt that maybe I'm the solution if there is a problem. Maybe God has set me in this moment at this time to ask the question, how is Jerusalem doing so that God can use me to be the answer to the problem? And too often we in, in our world and in our comfort in, in the in the place that we live and in our little bubble that we walk in and we do our daily life and we move on, we, we find ourselves not wanting to ask the question because we don't want the obligation that comes with knowing the answer. And Nehemiah was willing to know. 
How many times do we pass by those that are clearly hurting and clearly in need because we are fearful of the obligation and the responsibility? His compassion motivated him to ask. The second thing is this. The need prompted Nehemiah to pray. It prompted Nehemiah to pray. We've been talking, we just finished a series a couple weeks ago on prayer. And, and I've talked a lot about how I want us to be known as a church of prayer. So we started Tuesday night prayer. So any chance that I get to throw that in, I'm going to, right? 6.30 is at Tuesday night. It's right here. You know, so it's right in this room. Come and pray. It's going to be good. But, but this, this need prompts Nehemiah to pray. And I think what's great is so revealing to us is that it's not just a, a simple prayer, but it says that he begins to weep. He's made aware of, of what his city is like. He's made aware of the, the walls are in ruin. The gates have been burned. The people are, are shamed in how they live. And it breaks the heart of Nehemiah. And it prompts him to pray. And not just pray. And not just say, oh God, send someone to help them. They're in desperate need. Amen. No, he, he, he's broken. He falls to his knees and he begins to, to weep. He doesn't just pray. He begins to, to repent and say, oh God, we have turned from you and, and you have caused us to be scattered. And this is why, and essentially what he's saying is, this is why I'm in Persia right now is because of the sins that, that we have walked in. And he said, I repent of this. I repent of my sins, my family's sins. I repent of the sins of, of all the generations before me. I, I am so sorry for what we've done. And he begins to weep and cry out to God and say, Lord, there is a, a serious problem here. And the need in our world should motivate us to pray. When God puts a burden on your heart, don't try to escape it. Because if you do, you might miss the blessing he has planned for you. The book of Nehemiah begins with great affliction. It begins with, with a horrible, terrible thing. But before it closes, there's great joy. Psalm 35 says this, Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. He's broken. He's broken, and it prompts him to pray. It pushes him to prayer. Our tears water the seeds of providence that God has planted on our path. And without our tears, those seeds could never grow and produce fruit. I want to point to something that is significant in the prayer of Nehemiah, and it is this, that he starts with God of heaven, God of of heaven. It, it, it's essentially in the Lord's prayer, it, it, it's, it's like our, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Great is your name. And he's saying, God of heaven. It's the same title that, that Cyrus used for the Lord when announced that the Jew could return to the land. The Jews could return to the land. Even Ezra often used this divine title of, of God of heaven. And it's found four times in the book of Nehemiah, starting here and three times in Daniel. 
It's that moment and that mark in our prayers of first and foremost recognizing that God is the answer, that God is the solution, that ultimately if we don't turn to him first, our efforts may be in vain. Our efforts cannot produce what God can produce. Our efforts cannot make happen what God can make happen. And he says, great and awesome God. We talked about how great God is at the close of worship and the greatness of who he is and the fact that we can't fully fathom and imagine the greatness and the awesomeness of God. And yet we can turn to him in a moment's notice and we can turn to him in our time of need and we can go before him and we can begin to say, God, you are great and we need you. is why I say we will be a church of prayer. We will be a church of prayer. But understand my motivation behind my desire to be a church of prayer, and that is so that we can be a place to belong, to become like Christ, to be light to the world around us, all for the sake of changed lives. It's not to glorify the name of our church. It's not to glorify the name of any person or what anybody is doing. It is simply so that People can find Jesus and forever be changed. And Nehemiah finds himself in this place of saying, oh God, remember the promises you made to your people. Remember the promises you made to your people as we stop. And, and, and as he says, as I, so in this moment, as I repent, as I come back to you, please, oh God, remember the promises you made to Moses. Remember what you said. Remember what you said. God is faithful to remember the promises he made. It's all for the sake of changed lives. And the third thing is this. The need caused Nehemiah to do. The need caused Nehemiah to do. It's been said before that prayer is not getting man's will done in heaven, but getting God's will done on earth. However, in order for God's will to be done on earth, it requires the work of man empowered by God. His prayer wasn't just a simple, Lord, I'm going to pray and I'm going to ask you to do. It was, Lord, I'm going to pray and then I'm going to step up and volunteer myself to get it done. I'm going to step in front of the king. He says, grant me favor before this man. Because he says, his, what he's saying is, I'm about to go before the king and I'm going to ask him to send me back to my home so I can oversee and fix the problem. Because like I said, knowing the problem now empowers you to be part of the solution. And he says, so, so I have recognized the need. I see the need. I'm aware of the need. He said, I'm going to go before the king. And he says, now give me favor before the king so that I can go back and do. We can pray, 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 but we still have to work. We still have to do. And Nehemiah is saying, I'm willing to step up and step out and lead the charge to get this done. And incredible things happened when he did. They rebuilt the walls, and we'll go through all of that in time, but you can know the ending now because it's, you know, you shouldn't. They rebuilt the walls in 52 days. In 52 days. Nehemiah steps up and says, here's what we're doing, people. We're fixing this, and every one of you are going to be a part of it. And they jump in, and he starts doing this. But, but it doesn't happen without, first and foremost, prayer. 
And second of all, we have to jump up and do. We have to be a part of it. We can't just hope that it gets done. We all have a part to play. Ephesians 3.20 tells us that, that God does exceedingly and abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that is at work in us. It requires us to do. It's the work in us that then empowers us to do more. While Nehemiah was praying, his burden for Jerusalem became, became greater and his vision of what needed to be done became clearer. Real prayer keeps your heart and your head in balance so your burden doesn't make you impatient to run ahead of the Lord and ruin everything. Can I tell you, that is where I struggle the most is I want to do and fix now. And Lauren has to many times pull me back. She's led of the spirit in that way to be like, hey, Ryan, you're not ready to do that yet. Pump the brakes. Pump the brakes. See, that's where where effective prayer comes in. It helps to keep those things in balance because we have to do, we have to do. But the leading of the spirit then tells us when the timing is right and when the moment is right. And then he says, now go. And then your efforts are now anointed. They're led of God. It is the will of God that you are now carrying out and fulfilling because you've spent the time in prayer to to lead the action, to lead the work. So Nehemiah's prayer then then fills him with a greater passion for the need that he sees. And he says, I'm going to take care of this. I'm going to do this. He says, I'm willing to give up the comfort of the kingdom for, for the destruction of Jerusalem. I'm willing to give up the, the security of the palace for the rigors and the dangerous life in a ruined city. He would give up prestige for ridicule. Instead of sharing in the king's finances and wealth, Nehemiah would personally pay for the upkeep of the people and the food that would be shared at his table. He would leave behind the ease of the palace to take up the toils of encouraging a beaten people and finishing an almost impossible task. And with the help of God, he built the walls in 52 days. The walls were rebuilt, the gates were restored, and the people were rejoicing. And it all started with a man that was empowered by recognizing the need. He asked the question because his compassion motivated him, but then when he heard the severity of the situation, he said, there is work to be done. There's work that needs to happen. It's a step of faith. It's a step of faith. As you continue, and we'll continue to read through the story, but, but as you continue to read it, you find that there are moments where they are, are pressed essentially for time. They have to get it done. And enemies are mounting, and they're going to come against them. And there's just all these different things working against Nehemiah to make it happen. And by the grace of God, by the empowering of the Spirit, they finish and they complete it. It's a step of faith. But he was aware of the need and it motivated him, it pushed him. 
Today at Grace Hill, we have needs. We do. We have needs. Some, some may appear more superficial than others. Some may appear more substantial than others. And you can look around, and there may be things that you pick up on and notice and see that we have needs. We, let, me, let me just express this real quick. We're not a perfect church. If we ever begin to think we're a perfect church, may God smite us and humble us immediately. We're not a perfect church. No church is. There's no perfect church out there. There's just a lot of churches doing the absolute best they can. Some maybe not, but a lot of churches that are doing the absolute best they can. We have need, and that's just the, the nature of it. But when we stop and realize that our needs impact eternity, it should motivate us to want to take care of them. It should motivate us to say, you know what? We can be better. We can do more. We can step up and we can make a difference in this. You you think, man, that's such a small thing, but who knows, it may be the small thing that makes the biggest difference in somebody else's life. You go, well, that that little thing that's not painted, it's not a big deal. You, You know what? To some person, they may walk in and go, I, have no, I don't want anything to do with this. They don't take care of their things. And say, you don't know what impact a small thing can have in the life of somebody. It may be the difference between them coming with an open heart to hear the word of God or putting up a wall or a barrier so that they don't listen to the word of God. There's things that may seem small and insignificant, but in the end may make the biggest difference. So let's talk through some of our needs. First, Grace Kids and Grace Kids Junior, those rooms, have you been in them? If you've seen them, they need to be finished. We have need in that room, in those rooms. We want to create a space that is interactive, that is, that is fun for our kids and a safe environment for our kids where they can come without, parents can drop them off without worry, that they can drop them off and be excited and that the rooms need to be finished out. There are some areas in there that I look at and I go, Jesus, thank you for giving us grace that no kid has busted their head open yet or this and that. And you're hearing that and now you're going, I'm never putting my child in there again. God has given us grace, and we're going to address it. We're going to fix it. We're going to take care of it, but that's a need that we have. We need the space also. We need our, our, our kids' rooms need to be the best because that is the next generation. They need to know, and families, hear me, know this. We care about the next generation in this church. We care about the next generation of this church, and, and, and the first thing that we wanted to do when we came here was to uh, address kind of the hiring of a kid's pastor and some of those things so that you saw immediately that we care about the next generation. And, and if you haven't met Nina yet, and know that she is awesome. It's easy for me to say because, I, you know, I hired her, so it's kind of riding on me for her to be good, right? <laughs> but if you've been in there, you know she's incredible. She has a heart for those kids, and she gives thought and time and planning and preparation, and she's building an incredible team. And, and, and when I hear, like, what people are doing, and just it's, it's incredible. But we need to continue to invest also in our Grace Kids Jr., those rooms need to be brought up and made better and made right. We've been spending time seeing things and looking at things and gaining ideas and understanding. The second thing is, is our youth ministry needs to be invested into. We have a lot of kids coming into sixth grade. It's remarkable how many sixth graders we're about to have in youth. And I go, man, I'm really glad I'm not a youth pastor anymore. <laughs> I love sixth graders to death. but I'm glad I'm not a youth pastor anymore. <laughs> great stories of being a youth pastor and great things we do to junior hires. You can get a junior hire motivated to do anything. 
you can encourage them. If you tell them something is cool enough, they will do it. True story. One night I was a youth pastor at the end of service. We're outside and, and Lauren and I, I just had this conversation with somebody else and, and, and here I am and I just told one of our leaders, I'm like, dude, you know what's so cool about junior hires? You can motivate them to do anything. I'm not lying when I say that I motivated them and had them believing that running into the brick wall as hard as you can is probably the coolest thing you could do at this point in time. I had literally 10 junior high boys at full speed running into the side of our church. Nobody got hurt. Uh, that we could tell in the immediate moment. Long-term repercussions may be another story. But junior hires are great. We need to invest in our youth. We need to spend money in, in our students here at, at Grace Hill. And we need to show that, that we don't just care about our younger kids, but we care about our youth as well. And that we want to see them built up and, and see them encouraged and, and, and give them a place where they can come and not just come where they want to bring their friends. That, that our youth ministry is now this growing, vibrant place where they can come and be developed and, and begin to see the work of God in their life and then also in the lives of their friends so that they can have this incredible opportunity to, to truly grow and be in the presence of God. Our youth are important. Hear me when I say we value the next generation of the church. We need to invest in them. Birth through high school, we need to invest in the next generation of the church because here the truth of the matter is in no time at all we'll be handing it over to them. So we better do our best now making sure they know the word of God making sure that they know how to lead people to Jesus, making sure that they know how to lead people into the presence of God, making sure they know how to pray and how to read the word, how to understand the word, how to study the word. Because if we don't do it, they'll be left on their own to figure it out. And, and with, without any good leading, who knows where they could end up, right? It's like telling somebody, here's a map, good luck. You know, like, well, where am I? Figure it out. That's not what we're called to do. We have to invest in the next generation. We have to invest in the next generation. So what does that look like? I, I want to see a, a, our youth ministry full and vibrant as an awesome place for kids to come. I, I want to put money into doing events where they can do outreach and reach their friends to be in the schools. I, you know, hear me. This is, this is an awesome opportunity. We are in a place that is surrounded by kids and teenagers. I don't know if you've been around these neighborhoods at all lately. There is a lot of people under the age of 18. A lot we're outnumbered. Let's reach him. Let's reach him. The next thing is this. We, we need to uh, have a greater online presence. Hear me when I say this. This is not about trying to look cool or try to keep up with the Joneses. This is about reaching people outside of the walls of our church. I have a friend of mine who pastors a church, and, and he told me he had somebody come to his church and say, this is my first Sunday, but I watched you for 32 weeks online before I decided to bring my family. 32 weeks. Now, not everybody's going to be as committed to checking somebody out as this guy. But he said, I wanted to know that I could trust you with my family. So he watched for 32 weeks. We need to have an online presence where we're able to, to stream our services so that people can be connected outside of the wall. It's an incredible opportunity for us to connect to the people in our neighborhood, to connect in the city. Because the reality is not everybody's going to show up to our church. But if we can at least have the opportunity to speak life and to speak the word of God to them through a greater presence online, it's worth it. It's worth it. And then the fourth thing is this, increase our, our, 
staffing and infrastructure. If we have more hands on deck, we can do more. All of this, all of these needs, if addressed, if taken care of, all of these needs allow us to reach more people, to reach more people. Hear me. We're not going to start getting into like a numbers game and being like, hey, we're not going to put a sign on the wall that shows our, our record attendance and last week's attendance and how many got saved. Y'all remember those? Yeah, all right. We're not going to start doing that. But understand, numbers matter to the Lord because every number has a name and every name has a soul. And their soul matters to the Lord. Every one of these needs are not about trying to look better, sound better, be more attractive just for the sake of being attractive. This, this is all about reaching people for Jesus. When I tell you that my heart is for us to be a place to belong, to become like Christ, to be light to the world around us, all for the sake of changed lives, I mean that. That is my heart. That is what motivates me to get up and do every single day. Our church has needs. But the thing about our needs is that they impact eternity. And if we're going to be the best stewards of this place, if we're going to be the best stewards of the house of God that we're supposed to be, we need to address the needs. Because God has called us to do so. That's why we're here. So how do we do that? How do we do that? This is the big part. On July 28th, the last Sunday of this series, God is going to call us to take a step of faith. He's going to call us to step out. He's going to call us to do something big. And he's going to challenge us to do something great. Because if we step out in faith, if we step out in obedience, God in turn will bring the blessing. God in turn will bring the provision. But on July 28th, we're going to step out. And here's the challenge that I think God has given us. Nehemiah built the walls in 52 days. I think God is challenging us to raise $50,000 in 52 days. That may seem shocking. You may go, because I do when I hear it and I say it and I go, God, are you really pushing us to do this? That's big. That's big. But I know this, that there are people in this room that you go, well, I can give this much, I can give that much, I can give this, I can give that. And I'm not asking you to give today. I'll never ask you to give money in a moment. I always want to give you time to pray. I want to give you time to pray because I want you to hear from the Lord. But when I felt like God speak that to me, I feel the same nerves that I feel now presenting it to you in this moment of going, God, are you calling us to this? Are you calling us to this? Because through this, we can increase our impact in our community. We can increase our impact for the kingdom. We can increase what we're doing globally. We can increase what we're doing around the world because of faithful obedience. So on July 28th, we're going to have pledge cards and commitment cards. And we're going to ask God to speak. We're going to ask him to speak to our hearts. We're going to ask him to, to lead us in that. And over these next four Sundays, three Sundays after this, and we're going to pray. And we're going to ask God to lead us. Say, God, what is the number you're putting on my heart? What is the number you're speaking to me? 
And hear me, and, and I know the biggest part of all of this is the next generation stuff and, and reaching our kids and our students because that is very important to us and to our heart and who we are. That's a big need. It's a big ask. And I know that. But just like Nehemiah, God doesn't always call us to do something easy. God doesn't always call us to do something safe. He was giving up the palace for the rubble. He was giving up prestige to be mocked and ridiculed. But in the end, he did the near, nearly impossible. And it was only because he stepped out in faith and God provided. So this morning, with every head bowed and every eye closed, as I wrap it up, I just want to pray over you. I invite the worship team, but I want to pray over you as we draw this day to a close because I know that when a need like that is presented, it's easy to become almost safe. It's easy to almost just say, you know what? I can do this much and I know that. But, but here's my heart in this and, and my challenge is this. Seek God. Seek the Lord. When Lauren and I first started praying through this and asking, God gave us the same number, uh, which was, was, was good affirmation for us just affirming that, that this is what it was and that what God was speaking. And he's challenging us. He's challenging us. And it is a step of faith for us. And we're going to step out and we're going to be obedient and we're going to trust God because we're going to say, Lord, we are all in. We're committed to this. We're committed to this. We're committed to what God wants to do here. And, and we tithe and we give and, and that's, that's a part of our, our, our monthly, uh, you know, what we do with our finances and that is, is right up at the top of our list anytime we budget and anything that we do is first and foremost, what are we giving? But this is more than that. This is greater than our tithe and our offering. This is above our tithe and our offering and God is calling us to step out and we're gonna trust the Lord and we're gonna be obedient and we're gonna step out in faith and we're gonna say, God, use what we give. Use what we give. Father, as we walk through this series over the next few weeks and we talk about being all in, that as we talk about being all in, I pray, Lord, that you begin to speak to our hearts, that you begin to speak to our hearts. Lord, this morning, it was all about recognizing the need. It was about seeing the needs that we have being aware of the needs that, that are around us and the fact that, that we have kids and we have youth that are, that are in need of, of a place, God, where they can come and grow and learn in a greater way than we've ever done it, Lord, at, at a higher level than we've ever seen it happen. And so, Lord, I pray that today that your Holy Spirit will just begin to stir in our hearts. God, even if it's just the curiosity for now, even if it's just questioning and wondering, God, what are you saying? What are you speaking? God, I pray that from, from now until July 28th, that you begin to speak to our hearts, that you begin to speak to our minds, that you challenge us, that you motivate us, that you push us, God, that you take us on a journey that causes us to, to begin to, to, to rethink our level of commitment. 
God, that it challenges us to begin to rethink what we're willing to do. God, Nehemiah gave up the world to go and take on an impossible task. He gave up comfort and luxury to go and get his hands dirty and to work and work and work and lead people and to fight off those that were against him. But in the end, God, his step of faith proved to be one of the greatest moments in Jerusalem. And God, I pray that this is a pivotal moment in our church where we rise up and we fully commit to what you're doing here. And we say, God, we are all in. We're all in. God, not just with time, but Lord, we surrender to you our finances, our safety net, our security blanket. And we trust you. We trust you. And we say, God, whatever you want to do, whatever you want to speak to us, we commit to you to be obedient be obedient. We thank you for Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. Grace Hill is always about knowing God and growing in God, and we want to hear from you. If you have a prayer request or a question, you can email us at info at gracehill.cc.